the word. Thank you. Good morning, Zion. Anyone else having a fantastic week with the schools closed? <laughs> um, feel like I gotta check the preaching schedule next time against the DOE. They gotta, they gotta work together next time. <laughs> All right, so this week, this week I've been thinking a little bit about limits. And by limits, I mean like the boundaries that we set for ourselves so that if we stay within those boundaries, we stay within those limits, then we know we're good. So I'll give you an example, like those of us who have budgets, right? Those of us who are checking our accounts, we know that if we stay within a certain limit in our spending each day, then we can save for that vacation we're looking forward to in the summer. Or maybe some of us count calories. Anyone count calories? Those of us who count calories, we know that if we stay within this limit on the weekdays, then on the weekends we can go all out a little bit, right? See, limits help us feel, <laughs> limits help us feel safe and in control. It feels like we know what we're doing. As long as we stay within them, then we know we're good. I realize that a lot of us treat our relationships with God in the same way. Like I remember I was counseling a woman once and she was in this kind of gray situationship. And she told me, well, I'm not sinning. And she said that in such a matter of fact way. Like I knew what she was saying, but I was still like, huh, like that's an interesting way to put it. Because the way that she said it made it sound like there was such a clear defined line between sin and not sin. And she was on this side. She wasn't even an inch over on here. She was on this side, so she must be good. She wasn't sinning. But Jesus doesn't really express it that way. Jesus doesn't really express it that way. We like to think of the limits as what we can do and what we can do, what's sin and what's not sin. In order to be a good Christian, we just got to stay here and we're good, right? But with all these lines that we draw, all these limits that we set for ourselves, we think that keeps us good with God, but Jesus actually calls us to a higher standard than that. Now last week, Bishop Matera brought us back into the Gospel of Luke. We are back studying Jesus' parables and his teachings, as Justin mentioned, as he's continuing on his road to Jerusalem. So let's turn to Luke chapter 16, verse 14. Luke 16, verse 14. Reading from the ESV translation. It says, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things and they ridiculed him him being Jesus. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John, but since then the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband 
commits adultery. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for those faithful believers who wrote down and noted these words of Jesus so long ago. Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts and help us to hear you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would reveal to us the truths that are proclaimed in this passage, that we would be drawn closer to you, that we would long to worship you and follow you more. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the context of this passage is within this larger narrative of teachings that Jesus has been giving to the crowds, Jesus has been teaching his disciples, the Pharisees and the scribes were all there. If you remember where we left off in Luke at the end of last year, before, <clears throat> before our mini-series in the Old Testament, the Pharisees had been grumbling. You guys remember that? The Pharisees were grumbling that Jesus was hanging out with sinners. So Jesus teaches them. He has a word for them. He tells them the three parables, the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, who many of us probably know better as the prodigal son. So Jesus gives that word to the Pharisees who are grumbling. He's done with that, and he turns to his disciples. That was last week. Last week, Jesus gives some words of wisdom to his disciples, teaching them how to use their wealth wisely, how to manage it for true riches. And today, in our passage, we see things have escalated. The first line in our passage shows that the Pharisees were not grumbling anymore. They had gone to straight-up ridicule. They're openly mocking Jesus now. They're openly mocking Jesus. They're antagonizing him as he's trying to teach. The text describes the Pharisees as lovers of money. But historically, we know that this group of, of Jews was not known for hoarding wealth. They weren't known for you know, living lavishly. The phrase lovers of money is really for us to understand that the Pharisees were not about devotion to God. See, one verse earlier, Jesus had been saying, he'd been teaching his disciples, you can't serve God and money. You have to hate one, you have to hate one and love the other. So Luke says, well, the Pharisees were lovers of money. And here they are mocking Jesus. They're not mocking his teaching. They're mocking him. And by mocking him in this public way, they're undermining his authority to speak on the word of God. So, of course, Jesus has no choice now. Like, no more cute parables about sheep and coins. He straight out calls them out for their hypocrisy. Jesus called them out, and he said, you justify yourselves before men. You justify yourselves before men. The Pharisees, he knew what they were trying to do. The Pharisees were trying to sway the public opinion of Jesus so that they would not trust him and his teaching, but they would continue trusting them, the Pharisees, as their authority on the word of God. See, it was so important for the Pharisees what the people thought of them. Their status was of absolute importance to them. Jesus had said they always chose the best seats at the table. They loved being called rabbi. And because Jesus wasn't afraid to call them out, he does it. He says, you 
justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. But God knows your hearts. Oof. This is such a warning for us, church, that we have to check our hearts to make sure that it's not the approval of men that we think is most important. You know, it's always been interesting to me how we treat the church sometimes as a hierarchy, where there's people that are better and people who are less. It's always been interesting how positions like, oh, a Bible study leader, or, oh, you're a pastor, somehow that's higher than someone who's greeting or someone who's a usher. You know, when Paul wrote about the gifts, he did say, he said, you know, God appointed first the apostles, second prophets, teachers. Paul does write to the church at Corinth, hey, desire, desire the higher gifts. But he calls us to do that so that we can build up the church. He calls us to do that, to desire these gifts so that we can serve more, so that we can bring more glory to God, so that people can know him more. That's why we should seek the higher gifts. Not so because it makes us better. It makes us better than other people or holier than other people. You know, we've mistaken God's family of redeemed sinners as some kind of ladder, of corporate, a corporate ladder of success. You know, if someone's a leader, if someone's a pastor, oh, you've made it. You've made it. What does that even mean? I've heard someone tell me that their dream was to become a church planter. And there was no mention of God in that statement. There was no mention of his glory. It was just his ambition. He wanted to be a church planter. He thought that was amazing, and he wanted to be like everyone else. And that's how the Pharisees were. They were lovers of money. They were lovers of themselves. They were not lovers of God. They were lovers of the status and the exaltation that they received because they knew the Hebrew scriptures better than the others. They loved their knowledge. They loved the pulpit. They loved the approval of men. But the problem was, according to Jesus, they might have fooled everyone else, but they weren't fooling God. You see, they were teachers, and they knew a lot, but they were also hypocrites, and they didn't follow what they were preaching, and God knew it. And this is a warning especially to those of us in ministry and those of us in leadership and any one of us who are teaching or mentoring or having influence over another person in the body of Christ, that the sins that we commit at home in the privacy of our home away from the church is not hidden from God. I'm speaking specifically to leaders because I know as us leaders, sometimes we think the church is for everyone else, but we don't need Bible study. We don't need to hear the sermon. I'm speaking to the leaders because it's the leaders who are most susceptible to pride, to hypocrisy, to pretense, and for living for the approval of men. When people come to my apartment, when people have come uh, to my apartment, they've often remarked how clean my house is for having two kids. And of course, I say thank you. And I never let them see the bedrooms. And I never <laughs> let them see the office. And I would never let them see my closets. <laughs> but God sees our dusty baseboards and that crevice next to the stove and God sees that dust above the door frame. 
You see, we can't hide from God. We think we might be good because they only see our living room and the dining room and, and, and we'll let them use the bathroom. <laughs> but God calls us to a higher standard than that. You see, it is infinitely more important to be approved by God than to be the most exalted, most beloved member in the church. See, we have to be careful to live honestly and without pretense and humbly and serve as Jesus did. Now, Jesus continues his correction. So the first thing he does, he calls them out on their hypocrisy. Second thing he does is that he clarifies for the Pharisees the position of the law, how to understand the law. Now, if you're not familiar when I say the law, the law is that law that God gave to Israel at Mount Sinai. It includes the Ten Commandments. It includes ceremonial laws and sacrifices, laws on how to govern themselves. Those were the civil laws as Israel formed itself into a nation. It was a lot. It was a lot. Why, why does Jesus have to bring up the law to the Pharisees? Like, the Pharisees know the law, right? Because if you remember... The Pharisees had been challenging Jesus for a minute, mostly for him breaking the Sabbath. His disciples are picking food to eat on the day that's the Sabbath. Jesus is healing people when Jews are not supposed to do any work. Like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing ministry now? So word on the street was that Jesus was a lawbreaker. Jesus was here undermining what God had instituted. He's leading the people wrong. So Jesus takes this opportunity to clarify it for them. He said, nah, look, the law and the prophets, meaning the books of the law, which we call the Torah, the books of the law and the prophetic books have not been made void. They've not been invalidated. You see, these books continue, Jesus says, until John the Baptist. John the Baptist, many people think of him as the last Old Testament prophet. And since then, Jesus says the gospel has been preached. The good news of the kingdom is being preached, and people are coming into the kingdom. So there's something new. God has instituted a new covenant. If you read the footnote, the ESV is honest about this verse. This is a tricky verse because there's a verb that can either be take, translated two ways. It's not clear whether Jesus is saying that people are forcing themselves in. That's the way the ESV translates it or that people are being forced, they're being urgently um, urged, <laughs> urgently called into the kingdom of God. So it's a little tricky. Always read your footnotes because sometimes we don't know. But either way, either way, people are coming into the kingdom, the good news is being preached, and people are being saved. But even in the midst of this, Jesus says, hey, not one dot you can say not even of the tiniest pen stroke of the law is made void. Not even the littlest, tiniest mark is going to be invalidated by this preaching of the good news. He's telling the Pharisees that the scriptures are not done away with. In fact, it's just the opposite. In Matthew's gospel, we can see Jesus gives a fuller explanation to his disciples. He said to them that he did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. Jesus did not come to rip up 
what we call the Old Testament. He wasn't about that and throw it away. He came to fulfill them. He came to fulfill them. We can understand this in a number of ways. So first, Jesus fulfills all the commandments, all the covenants, all the covenant, all the requirements of the covenant because he was without sin. Second, Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets because the law and the prophets look forward to him coming. Jesus is the high priest and the king who will not fail his people. Jesus is the sacrifice who atoned for all sin once and for all. Jesus is the suffering servant that the prophets spoke about and whose kingdom will never end. You see, Jesus fulfills the law. The law and the prophets were all about him. He doesn't abolish it. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? I know I said a lot. It means that without studying and understanding the Hebrew scriptures, that Old Testament, that law and the prophets, we can't really come to a full understanding of who Jesus is. It means that even if we memorize the New Testament front and back, we won't fully understand what they mean and how we ought to live without also understanding the books of the law and the books of the prophets. You know, I've heard people say you can't understand the Old Testament without reading through the lens of the New, right? But I'm also saying it's hard to understand the New without the backstory of the Old. You know what I mean? Like Paul wrote to Timothy, he wrote, all scripture is God-breathed. What scripture do you think Paul's talking about? <laughs> Paul's not talking about this letter that I'm writing you right now. I want you, to, I want you to meditate on this letter. He's talking about the law and the prophets. When we, when we memorize that, we say all scripture is God-breathed. Well, we got to make sure we're not cutting out like 80% of the Bible. Jesus was not, this might blow some people's minds, Jesus was not giving brand new teachings. He wasn't making stuff up. What Jesus was doing was expounding upon God's law in the way that God had intended. I'll give you an example. We all know Jesus calls us to love our enemies, right? It's like mind-blowing. Like Jesus says, love our enemies. Let me read to you a snippet from the law. Exodus 23, 4 to 5. The law says, if you meet your enemy's ox or donkey going astray, bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of the one who hates you lying down because of its burden, rescue it. The person who hates you. God's saying, go help his donkey. Go help him. Bring his donkey back. Bring the donkey back to your enemy. He needs it. Sounds a little bit like loving your enemy, doesn't it? You see, Jesus doesn't only fulfill the law, he clarifies it for us. And he calls for his followers to live to an even higher standard than what the law says in its text. Even hating someone was the same as murder. That lusting after someone, you might as well have committed adultery. That's what Jesus calls us to. That's how he explains the law. See, Jesus calls us to a higher standard. The Pharisees thought that Jesus was defying the law, that he was undermining what God had said, but it was just the opposite. Jesus is the author of the law, 
And the way that he expounds upon it is the way that we should follow it. It's like when people, this is the best illustration I could think of, apologies if it doesn't hit. It's like when people are super fans of a comic or a book series, so like they create fan fiction and they debate about you know what's canon, what happened. And I remember reading about a post where some Harry Potter fan calculated exactly how much it would have cost Harry and the other wizards to go to Hogwarts. How much was the Hogwarts tuition? And I think the number was $43,000 a year. When you think about the wands and the robes and the uniforms they got, $43,000 a year. And that's kind of fun, right? So we're all talking about it. And then J.K. Rowling, the author of the Harry Potter series, she shows up on the post and she says, no, Hogwarts is free, and the Ministry of Magic covers all the costs. And that's kind of it, right? <laughs> that's kind of <laughs> and you're not gonna you're not gonna debate JK Rowling, right? She created Harry Potter. You're not gonna be like, oh, but I think, you know, it doesn't work that way. JK Rowling is the authoritative person to consult when we're talking about Hogwarts, when we're talking about the Harry Potter series. And that's the same as Jesus clarifying to us what the law means. It doesn't matter how the Jews had been interpreting it. It doesn't matter what the Pharisees were doing. Jesus is the authority on what the law means. The law and the prophets were not invalidated. They're not invalid. They're not made void. They're fulfilled in Jesus. And we need to understand them rightly through the way that Jesus explains them. Now, the final correction Jesus gives to the Pharisees is probably the hardest one for us. Pharisees have been mocking him, and then out of nowhere, Jesus tells them that anyone who divorces and remarries another person commits adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced person has committed adultery. And this is a hard truth for us today. In Matthew's Gospel, we always have to keep going to Matthew. Luke's really, he's really brief here in his correction, so we got to check the other Gospels. In Matthew's Gospel, we see Jesus in a longer dialogue with the Pharisees. We see him explaining that the way the law regarding divorce had been applied was not how God intended it to be. See, in Matthew 19, the Pharisees were questioning Jesus on divorce. They were asking him, hey, Jesus, they were testing him, is it okay for us to divorce our wives for any reason? And interestingly, this is like a battle of Bible nerds. Like whenever you see the Pharisees and the Jesus like debating stuff, it's always about the, the law. All right, so Jesus doesn't quote the law here. He doesn't quote the law that God gave to Israel. Jesus answers them by quoting a verse way further back from the account of creation in Genesis. What Jesus says is that God had joined, when man and woman marry, God joins them together. They become one flesh. That's how he responds to the question of divorce. Jesus effectively cancels divorce. And then the Pharisees challenge him. They're like, well, because they're thinking, you know, what, the, what does the law say? The Pharisees challenge him, and they're like, well, why then? 
did Moses command us to give our wives a certificate of divorce and send, her, send them away? See, now this is when it's helpful to read the law. If we had read the law, our alarm bell should have, should have been ringing because we would know that that reference is to Deuteronomy 24. And Deuteronomy 24 never has the law commanding divorce. Deuteronomy 24 assumes divorce. The law says there that when a man gives his wife a certificate of divorce, when he does this, when he divorces his wife, if she goes and marries someone else and gets divorced again, don't take her back, we're not going to get into that. We're not going to get into that. But divorce is always assumed in the law, never commanded. And Jesus addresses this in his response. He mentions this. He says that Moses allowed them. Moses did not command you. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives because of your hardness of heart. See, God knows our hearts. God knows our hearts. And because Israel was so stubborn, God did not correct and address every sin that existed in their community through the law. Can you imagine if God did that? Can you imagine if God gave an encyclopedia of sins to Israel? We have trouble reading through these two, three books. Can you imagine? So God does not address this. God may have seemed to allow for divorce, but here Jesus is clarifying. Remember, Jesus is the authority, and he says that divorce was never God's intention. It was never God's intention. He says both in Matthew and this passage and the other Gospels, remarriage to another person after divorce is an act of adultery. It is cheating on the person that God had joined together with you, when you covenanted yourself to another before him in marriage, that is a hard truth for Christians to swallow. It is a hard truth. And I think in our culture, because of divorce, because of how prevalent it is, we haven't taken marriage as seriously as we should have. If we are single and we're considering marriage, we have to understand and consider the lifelong spiritual ramifications of that decision. This is not something that we have to take, that we take lightly. Forget about the table settings. Don't worry about your Pinterest with the dresses. Think about if you want God to join you as one flesh to this person before worrying about the color of your bridesmaids' dresses, before worrying about how much money this wedding is going to cost you. Think about, is this the person I want to be covenanted with for the rest of my life? Amen. Now, if we've divorced, we've divorced. We must understand that signing some papers for the government does not undo what God has done. And that is hard. That is hard. Because the world tells us, oh, you're divorced, you're free, let's celebrate. But God does not see divorce in the same way. If we've remarried after we've divorced, we have to understand that that was sin. That was sin. That was an act of adultery. It was a sin against that person, even if he doesn't care, even if she doesn't care. It was an act of sin against God. 
who put you together, and now you're doing something against what you promised. If we have divorced and remarried, we can bring that to God. We can repent before God, and the fortunate thing is that we know he's merciful. He's merciful, kind, loving before his children who confess to him, and he will forgive us. I know that was a hard lesson. The Pharisees and many faithful Jews at that time had been understanding the law as kind of their limits, you know, their boundaries on what they could act within and they should be good with God. See, for them, if the law seemed okay with divorce, they could divorce and remarry as many times as they wanted to and they would still be good. They're still following the law. They didn't break it. See, the way the Pharisees applied and taught the law turned the law into something that allowed their hearts to sin. I'm going to say that again so we could understand that for ourselves. We can take God's words and create a religion that makes us feel safe and righteous because we're not sinning when our hearts are hard and far from him. But Jesus calls us to a higher standard. He calls us to a relationship with him. When the second person of the Godhead himself came to earth, he challenged the religious leaders who had been hurting his people with the laws he gave for their flourishing. He challenged them, he called them out on their hypocrisy, he clarified, corrected what was intended by God. See, where the Pharisees were judging, condemning, critiquing, Jesus came to teach, to save us, to redeem us, and to rescue us. There is a difference between the way Jesus is teaching the law here and the way the Pharisees were teaching the law. See, the higher standard that Jesus calls us to, as he explains in chapter 22 of the book of Matthew, is to love God with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our minds, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And interestingly, Jesus continues, we might know that verse, but Jesus says that it's on these two things that all the law and the prophets are based off of. Instead of looking at the law as these boundaries that would allow us to say, well, I'm not sinning, well, I'm not breaking that law, as the Pharisees would do, we should look to Jesus, who has freed us from this thinking so that we can look to him and love as he did. He's the author of the textbook. He's the one whom we worship. He's the one whom we listen to as we seek to understand the words that were fulfilled in him. See, a relationship with Jesus calls us to a higher standard than just a rule book of do's and don'ts. You know, it's very easy when you know the line, you know where to step. But Jesus does not call us to be looking at that line. There was a pastor in a church that I once attended who preached similar words in, in the service. And a woman came up to me after because I was a greeter. So I was standing at the greeting table or the connection table or whatever. And she told me she had been a Christian her entire life. And she had never heard this idea that the Bible wasn't just a book of do's and don'ts. 
And she asked me, what did that mean? And I was shocked. She had been a Christian her whole life. And the way she treated her relationship with Jesus was just what to do and what not to do. Many of us go through our entire lives with the best intentions, following Jesus as best as we can, and not realize that we've replaced the living God with a man-made religion that was devoid of true devotion to God. Many of us don't know or we live like we don't know that God is a real being who knows us, who loves us, and cares for us deeply, personally. See, we follow rules and look for our limits because, you know, it's easier to have control over our own salvation. It's easier to have control over our own righteousness than to trust that Christ has got us. You know, we can drink, but we're not drunk. We're not drunk. Yeah, did you check your alcohol? What is this? <laughs> what is this? You took a breathalyzer? Like, how are you determining these limits? You see, Jesus calls us to a higher standard. He calls us to love him, to love God, love our neighbor. You see, if we eat as healthy as we can, we won't need to be counting our calories. If we spent only on what we needed, we don't have to worry, oh, are we going to blow our budget? If we love God and we love our neighbor, I guarantee you, we'll think twice about covenanting ourselves to another person whom we have to submit to in marriage, and we'll think twice about the pain caused by divorce and remarriage. You see, if we love God and we love our neighbor, we would never think of ourselves as higher than anyone else pining for men's approval instead of God's because we love him. We love him and we love our neighbor. We would never want our neighbor to feel less, right? If we follow Jesus and the standard that he calls us to versus looking to that minimum line that we can get close to without crossing, if we follow Jesus, we're going to pass the law with flying colors. As I begin to close... I just want to recap Jesus' corrections for the Pharisees and his truth for us. God's approval is the one that we should seek, not man's. God sees everything, and we got to be careful of the temptation to live as hypocrites. The law for Israel, the law that we call the Old Testament, is not void. It's not thrown away just because the gospel is being preached we have to learn it. We have to study it so that we know how to live. We are called to something better. Finally, divorce. Divorce does not break what God has joined. To remarry someone, someone else, is adultery. It's a sin. See, we're called to something higher than just this religion. Just justifying ourselves with the limits that we've made up. We're called to a relationship with Jesus who will show us the way. Jesus will teach us. Jesus will guide us. Jesus will help us walk as we journey with him home. If you want to know more about how to follow Jesus, if I've said things that made some questions, brought up some questions in your mind, if you're needing prayer for something, 
If something in your life, maybe you've been living this legalistic life and you want to know, hey, how do I have a true relationship with Christ? We're going to have people in the back ready and waiting to pray with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are so good to have freed us from this old covenant that brought death, knowing that there was no way, no way we could have saved ourselves. Lord, we ask that you would help us know what a true relationship with you is like. Teach us how to love you. Teach us how to love our neighbor. Teach us how to learn about you and your teaching from the full word of God. We love you. Please bless us. In Jesus' name we pray.